Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Amen. Church, would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin as we uh, just dive into God's Word uh, this day? God, we thank you, and God, we just welcome you, Holy Spirit, in this time. God, we come to you as we are, and God, I pray that we may experience uh, greater grace. God, today we may immerse ourselves in your unending love, Lord. God, we come not as we should be, but we come just as we are, some broken And some, God, deeply flawed, Lord. God, no matter what our heart's conditions are in today, Lord, God, I pray that we would experience the richness of your love, Lord. God, we pray that we would humble ourselves so that you may do a deep work in all of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Whether it be a story of restoration of a prostitute in the Gospels or Jesus coming in encounter with a tax collector, consider worst of all sinners and people despised of the people in Jesus' time. And Jesus personally ministered to them and, and, and selecting, you guys know the story of Zacchaeus, right? Out, I mean, uh, outcast, shunned, uh, deeply lonely and broken in place of uh, searching for restoration, searching for friendships, searching for any kind of love and affirmation. And in, in the deepest despair, in the moment of deepest despair, Jesus comes and we see just a powerful picture of Jesus restoring him. And I don't know about you, but I'm always drawn by these stories where the most unlikeliest, uh, most unlikely uh, characters and and you know, I mean, if not for Jesus, if not for God, there's no business for them to have any significance in the context of human history or in the context of the way that we view people. But I love the gospel because precisely for those people, God conveys over and over again that his grace is really deeper than our understanding, that his grace and his love really does not discriminate anybody. I remember one of the first books that I read as a Christian, I think I was like a junior in high school, and at that time, my youth pastor back then always gave us shorter books, and I loved it because we didn't have to commit deeply uh, reading these books, and and I remember one of the first books that I read as a Christian was... um, a life testimony of a, a man named Raul Reese. I think some of you guys may know him if you listen to K-Wave 107.9. He's a pastor, I think, in Golden Springs, Diamond Bar, Calvary Chapel. And, and one of the books that he wrote was called, uh, something called Fury to Freedom. It basically shares about his uh, gangbanging days as a, a youngster, a hoodlum, and up to no good. And God just radically comes into his life and just messes him up as he encounters with just just the depth of his grace. And we're always drawn to these amazing and powerful stories. However, as we are drawn to these stories of transformation and amazing grace, I think if we could be true to ourselves, the same gospel message that we are drawn to in the context of other people's lives, we often struggle to receive it for ourselves. 
So we preach the good news. We, we were drawn by the power and the beauty of the gospel. But sometimes I think we, we have the tendency to elevate our sin. In doing so, we diminish, we lessen the power of God's grace and God's love. And today, I simply want to submit to you, and may we not make that mistake. May we not commit the sin of minimizing or belittling the power of God's grace. And the message of my sermon today, I mean, the the title of my message today is A Grace Greater Than Betrayal. Say it with me, grace greater than betrayal. So uh, today we lean into this powerful story of Jesus restoring one of the most powerful, uh, most prominent, and famous figures in all of the Bible. Peter is his name. Peter was as devoted as he was in following Jesus, as, uh, as uh, passionate, as uh, Prominent as he was being a disciple of Jesus, his failure and fall were also greater than the most of people at his time, and I would even argue that even our time today. As Peter was distraught in guilt and shame, Jesus restores him in a powerful, powerful way. And today we want to just explore why do we as people of God, why do we as followers of Jesus, why do we often betray Jesus. And just how deep does his mercy and grace run? And what iniquity is there, if at all, that his mercy and grace cannot cover? So we want to explore this uh, a powerful story in that we, we draw not only the truth, but we also draw encouragement and transforming power as we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. So here we are, uh, we are literally in the last few days in the life of Jesus in, in the context that we, in the passage that we have just read. Three years of Jesus' ministry had just been completed, right? It was a powerful, very effective time. Jesus lived 33 years and he ministered only the last 10% of his life. You know, if I, I don't know about if I were God, I think I may have extended that period of ministry. But God, in His omniscient, um, you know, all-knowing knowledge, He said, you know what, three years is enough. And during that time, Jesus uh, performed many miracles. He came in and delivered many people in their uh, emotional, physical suffering. He He uh, left them with great teachings. Right by this time, there was a strong bond that was built among the 12 disciples and Jesus himself. They were considered the best of friends. And we have also the inner circle, John, James, and, and Peter, right? And the Lord's Supper had already taken place. Jesus washed the feet of Jesus. He instructs them, hey, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what we did last week? We broke communion. So he had the Last Supper with them, instructed them, and anytime they broke bread together, break, broke bread together took wine and drank it that Jesus Christ would be remembered in their midst. So all of these things have already taken place. And Jesus had also comforted them. And he foreshadowed, prophesied of his eventual death. He tells them, he tells them you know what? I'm not going to be around for very long. I'm going to leave. And when I leave, I'm going to leave to be with the Father who is in heaven. And when I go up 
into heaven, I will prepare for you a place so that one day you will join me. And in my stead, in my place, I will also send somebody. Because guess what? Disciples are freaking out. In my place, to make sure that you don't feel alone, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he will be known as a helper. He will be known as a guide along the way, meaning he's the one responsible for helping you, aiding you with anything that you may be in need of. Great. And Jesus betrays, I mean, Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And here we are. Jesus is now taken to the Jewish priest. And the high priest is leading the charge and indicting Jesus of this crime of he didn't really commit. And the crime in the eyes of the Jews was what? Blasphemy. Someone claiming that he indeed is the Messiah as a son of God. And that was a no-no in the Jewish culture. Because in their eyes, the Messiah were to come. They were expecting him to come in a, a very prominent position. I think a political leader would have been preferred uh, uh, to their understanding. So they were really upset, and here we are. And Jesus is brought before the high priest and other Jewish leaders. And let me read for you verse 17 again. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold and they were warming themselves, and Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. By this time, the disciples had already scattered, and just a couple of them were following right behind Jesus as he's being taken away by the soldiers. The Roman soldiers has arrested him, and the Jewish leaders are leading the charge, right? And they're following up close, and they're just pretending to uh, just uh, blend in with the crowd, and he gets called out. One of the slave girls, I think John uh, uh, put that fact in there for a reason, to signify that she was really a person of no significance, of no importance, and she should have been a no threat and under normal circumstances. But here, Peter, when pressed by an insignificant a slave girl, succumbs to the pressure and says, you know what? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this man. So we see Peter denying his association with Jesus for the first time here. It's so sad. This is the same man who left everything behind. This is the same man when Jesus appeared to him by the fishing boat and says, Peter, follow me. He did not even question him. He did not. He recognized the divine presence that Jesus conveyed to him. And on that spot, he left behind his livelihood. At that, on that spot, he, he said goodbye to the family, and he became one of the most loyal followers of Jesus. He had left everything to follow Jesus. And this is the same person when he saw Jesus walking on water. Remember what happened? Jesus walking on water. Everyone thought that was a ghost. And Jesus conveyed to the disciples, hey, don't freak out, guys. It's me. It is I. He probably said, it is I. Your Lord, your rabbi, calm down. And Peter said, I don't believe that it's you. If that's really you, you should command me to do exactly what you're doing. That Peter, 
Guess what? Peter got to walk on water. That Peter, full of faith, lost faith in the next moment. So he fell in. And Jesus caused Peter to, to be undrowned. Is that a, is that a word? <laughs> to, to come up from drowning. Guess what? That guy got to walk back to the boat. That Peter, full of faith. And the same man, when Jesus says, upon your confession, Peter, upon your confession, who's saying that I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God, upon your confession, I will build my church. That Peter, he's also the one that spent the last moments as Jesus, upon facing death, when, remember when he withdrew from the crowd? He, he, uh, he went to uh, commune with the Lord in prayer in the Mount Transfiguration. He was just one of three. And Peter was there. That Peter. And here we see him just doing the most unthinkable. You know, I think, um, I think it's worth taking a moment here and dive into exactly what Peter is thinking or what he's feeling in this moment. What's going on? And his mind, because we may find ourselves much like Peter as Peter is struggling in his faith right in this passage. And oftentimes, we are zealous. We have no problem conveying our love and even loyalty and even faithfulness unto Jesus. And we are so often passionate about him. And we absolutely have the best of intentions when concerning Jesus Christ. We are always wanting to do our best. We're always wanting to represent him the right way. Yet, much like Peter, we are also vulnerable. We are also reckless at times. And it seems like at the most crucial moment when our faith or devotion should be at its highest, we find ourselves falling just short of what's expected and demanded of us. In those moments, we betray our Lord. We betray our faith. You know, to be frank, you know, we're not being pressed. I don't believe for a second that in this country, in this era, in the context where you work and live, I don't believe for a second that our faith is being threatened. No one's, de- no one's demanding that your life be taken away in your association or in your faith in Jesus Christ. While there is no denial, while there is no direct, explicit disassociation with Jesus, because we're not in the, in, in the context, but I think in many ways, in the ways that we live our lives, in the way that we deceive ourselves, in the way that we compromise in our own lives, I think in those plenty of times, that we do betray our Lord Jesus. Let me just uh, share a little bit in, in, in exactly what I mean by that. Why do we fall? Why do we find ourselves betraying the Lord? Or maybe more frankly, we can say, why do we sin? Why do we fall? The first point that I want to make here is fear. Peter, in this scene here, Peter is fearful of being recognized by others as a follower of Jesus. Peter thought he could blend in with some guards. 
right? Peter um, wanted to make sure that he did not stand out. Peter wanted to make sure that he just blended in, that his true identity may not be revealed. Uh, Even in this particular sense, many of us, we're not really living in fear, do we? How many guys go to work? How many guys wake up fearful of, man, I, I hope the world does not find out that I'm a Christian? None of us really live in fear that when we go to work that someone may accuse us of being a Christian. But I think fear, persecution, you know, where we are challenged of our relationship with Jesus, I think it comes in more subtle forms. I think we may be prone to betraying our faith in Jesus in different ways when, let's say, uh, your friends are talking about God. Maybe your, your friends are talking about life in general and, and, and mocking in a, um, in a form like slighting the Christians. Or people, uh, people using the Lord's name in vain. Or mocking God, mocking Jesus, mocking, I don't know, even Christmas or, or anything of concerning your faith. And what do you do? Sometimes... I think our silence conveys our disloyalty. Sometimes us wanting to let that moment pass while we do nothing about it, I think that conveys our true heart. That we live in fear. In many cases, we would rather blend in and appear the same as the rest of the world then we stick out as people belonging to Jesus Christ himself. Maybe. Fear. Second, I think is complacency. Complacency. I think here, Peter, uh, we have to understand that Peter was not unwarned in this situation. Peter was foretold of this may happen. Remember, Jesus said, hey, Peter, you're going to betray me three times before the, uh, the, uh, the rooster crows. It's going to happen. So Jesus, in his omniscience, right, he tells Peter exactly what's going to happen. How did Peter respond? No, 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 no. no. Not me, not me, not me. You can see every one of these guys, I mean, he had the audacity to every one of his other disciples under the bus, right? He said, all of these guys may betray you, but I will never betray you. Not me, Jesus. Not me. That guy. So I think sometimes we may come under, uh, be it temptation by the enemy, may, like we slip a little bit. Sometimes out of that complacency, out of that pride, we can succumb to what may surround us in those moments. All to convey that we shouldn't really be fully relaxed. You and I are not exempt from the attacks. You and I are not exempt from these possible falls, just like Peter has encountered in this passage here. What does 1 Peter 5 conveys to us? It's so ironic that it's Peter. This Peter wrote a letter later. He talks, he warns everybody else. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, waiting to what? Waiting to what? To play together? Waiting to what? All right, waiting to devour. Waiting to consume. Waiting to make sure that person falters completely. 
Peter, I think, in that moment, much like us, we just kind of get too laxed. We remove ourselves from the possibility of succumbing to the enemy's attacks. Complacency could be one of the reasons why we betray Jesus. The third, I think just the emotions. We, sometimes we let our emotions get the best of us. Peter, he's found very angry. If you read Matthew's account of the same event that happened, Peter is found here cursing when someone pressed him, when someone said, hey, you are related to Jesus. Peter responds by cussing that person out. In this passage, a slave girl once again. Sometimes we let our emotions get the best of us. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's frustration. How many guys know that you are more prone to sin when you are angry and you're frustrated? You don't believe me? Think about how often you get attacked in the context of your family. You lose yourself. You lose your cool against your spouses, your kids. Come on, somebody. You know, why do we sin against our kids? Why are we really angry? It's because we're frustrated. So frustration leads us to sometimes to sin. Not only anger, not only frustration, can I say even sadness too? Can I say anxiety too? If we're anxious, guess what? If we're too anxious, we're also vulnerable to the, to the weak ways of the flesh. When we're sad, when we're vulnerable, guess what? The enemy knows exactly how to make us fall. When we're sad, we're also vulnerable. So here, just like Peter, he was full of anger and defiance. And the next thing you know, as soon as he denied Jesus, and he lied to the slave girl, you know, the prophecy of Jesus comes true. And sadly, that's all we have of Peter until much later. And that's it. I think um, if you read John chapter uh, 19, 20, right? They're, they're, right? And then and, and this sh- uh, shifts uh, abruptly to what's happening to Jesus. Jesus gets taken to the cross. There's beating, right? I mean, all of a sudden, Peter just completely disappears. And we don't hear of Peter We don't see Peter again until chapter 21. Peter meaning, indicating Peter runs away. He's in hiding, and and, uh, he goes back to his former life, going back to fishing. You know, some scholars say that, well, he was a coward. He, uh, He had no heart. He just completely lost faith, and that's why he went back to fishing. Well, we can't be uh, making such judgment because Jesus did convey to Peter and the rest of the disciples to be back in Galilee. So I don't want us to make that jump, but Peter, for whatever reasons, Peter is back to fishing. Peter's away from his friends. Peter is probably wondering what we do know of is he's completely broken. What he remembers of Jesus, the last memory of Jesus is it in that, that the last time he was together with Jesus, he denied him three times. He relinquished his relationship that he had 
with Jesus. Are you guys with me? Read with me. If you have your Bibles, fast forward to chapter 21. And we're going to get to the part how uh, Peter now gets restored by Jesus. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Remember, Jesus had already been crucified. By this time, Jesus has resurrected according to his prophecy. Now Jesus shows up right before the disciples that have scattered at the moment of arrest. So the disciples had not seen Jesus for quite some time now. And Peter is minding his business. He's now fishing. And all the other disciples are saying, hey, I'm going to join you, Peter. And he appears to them. And guess what Jesus does? And Jesus has an amazing plan. I think for entire chapter is dedicated for Peter. Let me show you what happens here in verse 9. So when they caught out on the land... When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Read that verse again. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish. Flip your Bibles to chapter 18 back again. Verse 18. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a what? Charcoal fire. Guess what Jesus is doing here? I don't think this is by accident. Jesus is now creating the same scene in the very place that Peter had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus recreates this scene, and he begins this interchange with Peter himself. Now, now they're, they're out there, and this man from the shore says, you know what, you should cast your net to your right. They're probably thinking, well, hey, we, we have been fishing all night. We caught nothing. And when they listened to the command of Jesus, all of these disciples who had caught nothing the night before, it caught a bunch of fish. The Bible tells us they caught 153. I don't know why that number was significant. Anyway, they caught a bunch of fish. And they're now going back to the shore, coming back to the shore. Peter, recognizing in his heart, discerning in his spirit this was no ordinary man. Not only that, he senses that this is probably most likely Jesus. The last time seeing him, he had betrayed him. So he doesn't even have the patience to ride back on the boat to the shore. He, gets, he jumps out of the boat and he begins to swim back. I don't know what's faster. That must have been a slow, slow boat. Or maybe they just had a lot of fish. It was sinking slow. Jesus gets out. He loses outer garment. Guess what? He's half naked. He's swimming. Guess what? He's swimming fast. All to what? To come and see the resurrected Lord. 
And guess what? As soon as he comes to the shore, he's half naked, he's excited, and guess what he sees? The charcoal fire. The same scene. And this time, Jesus is cooking the fish. He has some loaves of bread prepared for them. Now he's ready to feed the disciples. And Peter is in the presence of Christ. And I think, I'm not there, but I'm guessing he was probably triggered of the memory that he had of Jesus in the same context. And guess what kind of conversation now Jesus is leading Peter into? People are eating, and now while the other guys were there, Peter, uh, Jesus zooms into Peter, and he begins this intimate dialogue with him. So when they had finished breakfast, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him. Kind of random. Simon Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus is being intentional again. I don't believe that Jesus asks Peter again the same question because he could not hear Peter's response. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. I'm guessing the voice of Peter probably shaking a little more. Each time Jesus is looking at him, every word that Jesus is not coming at him with, Jesus asked me the first time, I gave him an answer. He asked me again. I, he gives the same response. Jesus does not stop. He says, he, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter, it's the Bible, this is what it says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. Do you know why Peter was grieved? Peter was grieved because Jesus took him back to the same place. Jesus deliberately asks Peter of the same question three times because Peter denied him exactly three times. He says, Son of John, do you love me? I'm guessing by this time, Peter is fully crying, emotional, stricken with guilt and shame, reminded of what he could not do in the moment of high pressure, that he denounced his faith. He's ashamed. He felt like he's now worthless. He feels like a big disappointment to Jesus. And in his brokenness, and even in his inability to remain faithful, he has to convey the words, Jesus, I love you. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel the pain. To realize the shortcoming, realize the frailty of my faith in Jesus. And Jesus says, feed my lamb, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep. I think what Jesus is doing here is so much more than just repairing Peter or restoring Peter. Jesus conveys restoring of Peter's heart also was a reminder of commissioning Peter. This was important not only for Peter to stop feeling guilty. It was important for Peter to feel good about himself again now. This was the exact same place of restoration Jesus was also commissioning Peter. Let me, tell, let, me, let me explain. Remember in Matthew 16, Jesus says, upon your confession, I will build my church. Right? When, when Peter denied Jesus three times, what do you believe Peter was thinking about? Do you think Peter was, what, what do you think Peter was telling himself? I ah, remember Jesus telling me that through me that he will build the church. Do you think Peter felt good about himself that he would actually carry forth that promise of God? Probably not. He probably said, no, thank you, God. I'm not the right man for this task. I'm not the right guy. I hope you find somebody else because I have failed you. You know, what Peter is, you know what Jesus is doing here? He's saying, I'm restoring you. I'm restoring you for the purpose and the reclamation of my call in and through your life. And Jesus is saying, don't you separate, don't you kick away my call just because how you feel about yourself. He says, as I am the great shepherd, I am the one responsible taking care of my sheep and my fold. Now that responsibility gets to be placed upon you. Dear friends, some of you guys need to hear this today. I need you to know and hang on that Jesus has called you for a great purpose, and that purpose will not be relinquished, will not be kicked to the curb because of your mistake. Romans chapter 11 says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Let me tell you again, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. What you do in your life, what you do through your life, you're not the determiner of what you say that, God, I'm not going to do this. And I think Peter reminds us of this great, great and powerful promise through Jesus. Jesus says, you're still the guy, Peter. You betray me three times, I know. You walked away. You're ashamed. You're broken. I get it. But guess what, Peter? You're still my guy. Amen? Is that good news, guys? It's so hard. And I think I'm talking to myself as well. When we talk about stories of grace, transformation, restoration, 
We love stories like that. But we oftentimes, we reject that message of the gospel. We reject the message that God could truly restore us even better than we were in the past. And I pray, dear friends at Rooftop Church, I pray that you receive this amazing, amazing grace that God loves you so much. God's amazing plan and purpose for you, even just by your simple mistake, you cannot uh, uh, nullify that. I'm not saying that you continue to live in sin. I'm not saying that you continue to ignore the voices and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that. But as long as you are repentant, as long as you're humble before God, when Jesus presses in and says, hey, do you love me? Hey, do you acknowledge me? As long as we are humble, God is able to restore us completely. There is no sin too great that Jesus cannot forgive. There is no offense too much, too big, too great for you to be shunned from the grace and mercy of God. Let's invite the priest to come on up to the front. And today, I want to encourage you. Would you spend some time in prayer before the Lord? Maybe you have things that you need to unpack in the presence of Christ. Maybe you have been harboring guilt and shame. Maybe you have been harboring some sense of, you know, I just don't know. I have no significance. God has taken away my call. God has taken away my purpose because of my failure. And see what the Holy Spirit reveals to you this day. the Lord is leading you by the shore. As you desperately swim back, as your eyes are fixed on Jesus, whom you have missed very much, wondering that, wondering if you would ever see him again. Wondering that if you would ever have the chance again, that you're sorry. So embarrassed. So ashamed. But you also can't deny the excitement and maybe, maybe that it can make everything all right again. You're swimming. Jesus waits. There's a fire, bonfire prepared for you.
the places that you've been, all the things that you have said running through your mind. And Jesus asks, do you love me? Feed my lamb. He asks again, do you love me? Feed my lamb. And the third time he asks, because he wants you to never forget, because you want to under, he wants you to understand that there isn't a thing that you do that can sever the relationship that can sever and take you away from the eternal love that Christ has for you dear friends rest in that place today Holy Spirit we invite you in this time would you come do a deep work in all of us Lord Sometimes we need just more than understanding. But God, we need that experience that would rock us from the core of our beings, Lord. So God, I pray for everyone in this room right now that you come and encounter them. Meet them where they are.